Tonight's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason. I'm the staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight. A special welcome to you if you are new to Grace or new to Iowa City. We are glad that you are here. And uh, we have a number of things going on this fall that we want to invite you to because we are not just a group of people that meets here uh, once a week to worship together, though that's important, but we also spend time together during the week, and we also want to take a look at all the things God wants to see say to us about himself and our world. And so tonight, after the service, we are having one of those opportunities where we are having a theological forum, a panel of experts that will be here. And we do this about three times a year, uh, once each semester. And the idea is to cover some relevant topics that maybe we don't have a chance to cover in, as we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible. And so tonight, right after the service, um, we are going to have a panel of experts that are going to be talking about the intersection of faith and feelings, how emotions and faith intersect. So we believe that emotions are, are very important, that they tell us something about our lives and about faith, um, but we want to look at them from a biblical perspective. So you can stick around after the service to do that. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a meal. Uh, a couple weeks after that, we're going to have a hospitality time for if you're new, we'll have someone's house that we'll invite you over to to get to know some new folks here at Grace. So we want to welcome you if you are new, for sure. We are going through the book of First Peter, as Bo just read for us, we were just getting started. Uh, last week, Pastor Brooks walked us through the first two verses, which is really Peter's introduction. And now he is getting into his main thesis of his letter. First Peter is a letter written by Peter, and we really get into the thesis of what he is going to show us in the rest of the letter. Um, there is some pretty weighty and incredible and profound things in this scripture uh, that Peter, and we believe God, has for us tonight. The whole theme of this series is, where is your hope? We're asking that question, where is your hope? 
The reason we are asking that question is because so many things that we have put our hope in over the years have disappointed us. Whether it's small things or big things, whether it's everyday things, like we hope that the weather is nice or we hope our day goes well, or whether it's big things, like I hope I get into the right school or I hope I find someone to marry or I hope that this move to a new place works out well or I hope to have children, these bigger life things we place our hope in. But we don't have to live very long or have too many hopes to realize that a lot of times we hope for things that do not take place. And we find over time that we are not in control of our lives. And we also learn that we place our hope in a lot of things that never come to pass. There are things that you're hoping for right now in your life for this season of life or this semester in school or just this time period. And you're wondering Will this take place? Will this happen for me? Sometimes you read a self-help book or a spiritual book and you, you think, I hope that I can do this. I hope that this can help me. I hope that the reasons I am reading this will come to pass. Sometimes we hear a sermon and we think, I really hope I can put this into practice. Or I really hope I can have more faith this week than I did last week. Ultimately, we are talking about hope, not only because Peter talks about hope in this letter, but because we believe that the Bible teaches that there really is only one thing that we can place our hope in. And it's a living hope. And that's what Peter is going to tell us about tonight. He is going to show us that many of the things that we have hoped in is really just a wish. We wish things will be a certain way. But where does true hope come from? That's what 1 Peter shows us in the text tonight. Would you pray with me as we open it up together? Heavenly Father, we recognize your presence here through your Holy Spirit. God, we want to hear from you tonight. We desperately need to hear from you tonight. And Father, I know that I am not equal to the task in front of me tonight explaining the beauty of a living hope the beauty of what you say here in your word. God, I pray that the same spirit that inspired Peter to write these words would also speak to each man, woman, and child that can hear my voice here tonight. And God, I pray that you would take my humble words and fill them and do something bigger than me, bigger than us, bigger than this church here tonight. God, change us. God, show us where we have misplaced hope. And God, show us what a living hope in the reality of what Christ has done for us can be found tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In our passage tonight, Peter is going to pull back the curtains of all eternity, eternity past and eternity future, to show us where a living hope can be found. As we get started, we're going to take a look at uh, what Brooks covered in the introduction last week. A couple of things of note that are going to be relevant to what we're going to talk about here tonight. Peter was an apostle of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples that knew Jesus the most. And he is writing to people that are elect exiles of the dispersion. So they are people that they know God's love. They have been born again. They have found a living hope to use the language that Peter's about to use. But they're spread out everywhere. They've been displaced. The word exile means that you are not 
in the place where you originally started. You have moved, for whatever reason, to a place not your own. And we know from history in the first century that for many Christians, it was persecution that made them flee and become exiles. And then we see what Peter's prayer is for them, that may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's telling them, you need grace and peace in your life and not just a one-time deal. You need ongoing, that's what the word multiplied means, ongoing exponential grace and peace for the circumstances that you find yourself in. Not only for the circumstances you find yourself in, but the things you see in your own life and in your own heart. Because just like you and me, they don't live up to this letter. He's going to give them lots of instructions. We're going to go through about four chapters of instructions of Peter telling the church how to live. And he knows that they're going to find that they can't live up to it just like us. So this is what Peter prays for these people. And this is who he is writing to. Today he is going to answer for us how grace and peace can be multiplied to them. He does so in verses 3 through 12. A couple things to know about verses 3 through 12, and then we'll jump into it. Verses 3 through 12 in the original language, which is Greek, is one sentence. One sentence. In English, we break it up into multiple sentences because we have short attention spans. But it was all one sentence in the original Greek. The other thing to know is that many scholars believe, most scholars believe, that the introduction to this letter isn't just verses 1 and 2 that you see on the screen here, but it's actually chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 10. This whole thing serves as a thesis or an introduction for all the instructions that we find starting in 2.11 that goes through the end of the verse. So those are a couple of things by way of preamble. So let's take a look at the individual verses. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here from the very beginning, Peter is making an incredible claim, and that claim is that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. Here he uses this phrase, blessed be the God, because this is a familiar phrase to the Jews that he is writing to. He's also writing to some Gentiles, but he's writing to some Jews, and this phrase, blessed be God, is something that the people of God, the Jews, had worshipped God with this phrase for generations. Blessed be you, God. We find this all over the Old Testament. So Peter is using that Old Testament language, and then he is saying that that God that the Jews have worshipped for generations is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying here, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Not only that, but in these first few verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter uses the word Jesus or Christ four different times. He wants them to know that this letter and their lives and a living hope are all about Jesus. That's what he wants to get across to us from the very beginning. Continue on in verses 4, 3, 4, and 5. According to his great mercy, as he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. This is the soundbite. This is the thesis statement. This is the abstract. This is what Peter is now going to talk about for the rest of the book. I have about 15 minutes to talk about this. And I have seven slides. I basically underlined every word. And this basically unpacks for us the importance of the gospel. So buckle up and pray, please. So let's pick this apart. What does he say? He starts with, according to his great mercy. According to his great mercy. Again, Peter is borrowing Old Testament language here. And he is quoting God himself. This is what God said to his people when he would remind them of his covenant and his faithfulness with them. He would say, I am a merciful God. He constantly, catch this as you read the Old Testament, he would remind them, I am a merciful God. So Peter is starting there as well. According to his great mercy, according to his long-suffering, faithful patience with us what he's starting with. Because of that great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again. Peter is using language here that many commentators and scholars have argued about where he is getting this language. Some say there is a mysterious religion that he is using this language from. Others say that he is borrowing from the cultic religions of the day. Some are saying that maybe this is buried somewhere in Greek mythology that Peter was familiar with. Others say maybe it was a turn of phrase from the Roman Empire. But I think that if we know our Bible and we look at the Gospel of John, we can see that Peter is most likely getting this language from Jesus. He's getting this language from Jesus because in John chapter 3, Jesus tells a religious guy named Nicodemus that even though he knows all the law and he was seemingly born into the right people group, that he needs to be born again. What Jesus is talking about and what Peter is talking about is a second birth that we need to have and that birth is a spiritual birth. It's even embedded in the Greek language that Peter is writing in here. He is not talking about being born like we were the first time. We were all born the first time. The Bible uses a lot of language for it. We were born in the flesh. We were born in water. We were born from a woman. We all were born the first time. But here, Peter is echoing what Jesus said, that you must be born again. That being born into the right family or being born into the right religion or the right country or the right skin color or the right language does not count as a second birth. That's your first birth. And no matter what your first birth was like or when it was or who it was by, you need a second birth. You must be born again. Here's the thing. In life, you can get better at anything. You really can. You can get better at anything. I had a friend that was convinced that he was going to bulk me up at some point in my life. This was like 15 years ago. He's like, you can do it. I can bulk you up. I'm like, dude, have you seen me? Look at this. I am 
so skinny, I cannot even put on weight. How are you going to bulk me up? He's like, the right program, the right shakes, I can bulk you up. We have that mentality and we can, we can cause that to happen. We can get better at just about anything in life. If we practice, if we make sacrifices, if we do more of it, if we learn from experts, if we hire a coach, not only that, but we are more capable of getting better at things than maybe humans have ever been. We have all the knowledge, all the resources to get better at anything. Here's the problem. Sometimes we think that's what spiritual life is. That we just have to get better at it. That if we just read the right book or go to the right church, or if we can just get our act together, then we'll find true spiritual life. And friends, I know that even those that sit in a church every single week, even those who are in a community group every single week, even those who are sharing their faith, even those who are leaders in the church, even those who are preaching this sermon right now feel like some ver future version of themselves will finally get their act together, will finally be able to spiritually get where they have intended to go, but they just can't quite get there. Peter is just throwing that out completely. He says true spiritual life is being born again. This is not self-help. This is not getting better. This is not you work at it until you finally realize the right things. Peter is saying we must be born again. He is saying that the same God that spoke the world into existence needs to speak our spiritual life into existence. He needs to speak his grace, his mercy, his truth, his good news into our life, his faith into our life, and we must be born again. When we are born again, then we can have a living hope, a living hope hope. This idea of a living hope is the exact opposite of a dead hope. A dead hope is what I described in the introduction today. A dead hope is all the things we wish for that we're not sure if they're going to come true. A dead hope or a dead wish are all the things of this world that we place our hope in and then they disappoint us or have the potential to do so. A dead hope is thinking that we can clean up our act enough so Jesus will love us. A dead hope is putting hope in the material things of this world and then seeing that they don't satisfy. A dead hope is putting all of our hope and wishes into our relationships and then seeing that they don't satisfy or they leave or they fall apart. Peter here wants us to know that the opposite of that is a living hope. He wants us to know that because we can be born again, we can have a living hope. Think of all the things that you have put hope in that have disappointed you. All the small things, all the big things that have just let you down. Peter here wants us to experience a living hope. So how can we be born again? How can we experience a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead. A true, concrete, material, bodily thing that actually took place in history that we can put our hope in, that enables us to be born again and come to life spiritually. The Bible tells us that because Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh, we just read in verse 3 that he came from the Father. He is fully God, but he is also fully man. He lived in a body. He died a real bodily death. He was put in a real tomb, and then he rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, we can now be born again into a living hope. Because we can worship and have relationship with a living God. A living God. Peter wants us to experience a living hope through the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This resurrection then gives us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He uses three phrases here to show us really the totality of this inheritance. Think of all those dead hopes and those wishes that we have placed in things that have perished, been defiled, or have just flat out faded away. He says here that because of what Christ has done, we can be born again to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and then we receive an inheritance that won't die, won't be perverted or defiled, and will never fade away. What a promise. What a salvation that he is offering us. This is the opposite. This inheritance is the opposite of everything else we've placed our faith and our hope in. The hopes that are actually just wishes because they're things that can be taken away. And that inheritance is kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The reason that this inheritance is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled is because of the one who guards it. Have you ever lost anything? It's terrible. It's a terrible, terrible feeling to lose something and not be able to find it. Our hope And our spiritual life and our future inheritance is not guarded by someone who even has the ability to lose it. If my salvation and my spiritual life is up to me, I'll lose it. I can't keep track of my car keys and my phone and my Bible sometimes even. But I'm not the one guarding those things. Not the one guarding my salvation, my hope, my future inheritance. It's God and His power. He is the one doing the guarding. In just a moment, we're going to read in verse 7 that our faith will be tested to the very end. That there will be things in this world and in our own hearts that gnaw away and chip away and go after our faith. And those things will go after our faith to the very end. And because of that, we need God and his power doing the guarding. And then we're told what that inheritance is. 
We are waiting for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A salvation ready to be revealed. The salvation is sure. The salvation is ready. And it will be fully revealed in the future. That's what Peter is pointing us towards. Because of all of this, he says that we should have a response. He says that we should have a response to this living hope because we've been born again due to the fact of the resurrection of Jesus, that we have an inheritance that can't be taken away, that won't fade away. It's being guarded by God. And we have a future salvation that's coming, a full deliverance that we can place our hope in. And because of that, verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. To this point, we have seen mostly future tense verbs. Here he starts using present verbs. He says, in this you rejoice now. Present means now. When we read joy and when we read words like rejoice, we think about, yeah, when everything's better. When I feel better, when I'm delivered, when I have easier circumstances, when this thing I'm stressed out about is over, once these things I'm wishing for come to pass, then I can rejoice. No. Based on the theology and the facts and the truth of what Peter has just laid out for us, he says, in this you rejoice. This is where your hope is. And it's a living hope that we can rejoice in right now. He says, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, The recipients of this letter are going through a hard time right here, right now. He uses the word exiles, sojourners, pilgrims. They are a people that have been pushed out of where they are naturally from. They are now living in a foreign land. They are living on the margins of society. And he says, you can rejoice now, even as you face various trials. And then he says, at some future time, you will see these as temporary and little. Oh man, this is hard. When you lose something, it's very hard to see it as little and temporary. That's why you absolutely freak out and lose your mind at traffic and losing your keys and little things that seem to go wrong. He says that one day you will have the perspective that all these various trials, big and small, that you have gone through will seem temporary and little. And I have to be honest with you. This is just logical. If we think about it and if we're really honest with ourselves, there's no promise that that perspective will come in this life. I pray that it does for me and for you. That at some point in this earthly life, we will reach a point where our trials and our suffering seem little and temporary. 
by God's grace, sometimes he allows that on this side of heaven. But because of the inheritance, the God's power that God himself guards for you, there will be a day for those who have been born again where all their suffering, all the trials we have been through, the trials of many kinds will seem little and temporary. That's what Peter is telling us here. When we see this word tested, the tested genuineness of your faith, we can know that God sees the trials. He even uses them to test us, to refine us, to build our faith even when it doesn't seem like anything is happening. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Once again, he says you can rejoice right here, right now, even though you haven't seen Jesus with your own eyes. Peter had seen Jesus with his own eyes. The before death Jesus, the after resurrection Jesus, he was probably there when Jesus ascended to be again with the Father. He was there when the Spirit came and filled his people. Peter saw Jesus. But he says, even if you haven't seen Jesus, you can rejoice again with joy right now. And you can be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you have obtained the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He's saying that even though your hope isn't fully realized, it's as good as done because God is guarding it. And because Jesus really rose from the grave. And the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Now, when you hear this word soul, we can think of like spirit. How we all have like a soul or spirit. That's not what Peter's referring to here. Peter means all of who you are. All of who you are. The totality of all that you are. Mind, body, spirit can be saved because of what Jesus has done. Let's continue on in verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This could be a whole nother sermon. Fortunately, in the next semester, starting in January, we are going to do a survey of the whole Old Testament, and we'll get into more of this. Time does not allow for us to fully dive into this, but what we can know is that clearly, All over the Old Testament, God was telling his people that he would send a Messiah one day to deliver his people and to be the full revelation of this merciful God that they worshiped. Places like Isaiah 53 give specifics of what kind of Messiah would come. Isaiah 53. He says that they longed to know what kind of Savior would come. They wanted to know the times and places. They wanted to know who it would be and under what circumstances he would come. 
There was an anticipation to what God would do sending his son to be the Messiah. And here Peter says that they longed to look into what we have seen, what he saw, what the other apostles saw. They longed to be in the days that the church was in in the first century. Even as they're persecuted, even as they're exiles, even as they're called the dispersion, because they're being sent out from their home country. He is saying prophets longed to know these days and now we know it. Now we see it. He's saying that they were serving us by announcing that a Messiah would come. He is telling them that the good news is known because of you and me. The good news is proved through you and me and what God has done for us. Again, Peter is writing to exiles who have left their homeland and exiles are overlooked and put on the margins. Peter is saying all of eternity past, including the angels, look at this in verse 12, which angels even long to look into these things. Angels, heavenly beings, long to look into what the people of God can experience. Being born again into a living hope, the Spirit's indwelling, being people of good news, the angels and all of eternity look down at you and me and they're envious of what we have. The angels can't stop watching us and what is going on down here right now. The fact of the matter is, Peter is telling them that all of earth may look away, but all of heaven is watching you because of the God that has saved you because of his work in your life and the living hope that you can have in Christ of note here is who he says tells these prophets that this will take place he says the spirit of Christ the spirit of Christ told the Old Testament prophets that these days would come amazing that Peter would use that language. Amazing that he would call the Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Peter, once again, is showing us how strong the idea of the Trinity was in his theology. I'm going to cover verse 13 briefly, and then we'll hit on it more next week. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I cover this verse now for two reasons. One, in the original Greek, this serves as a transitionary sentence. It is connected back to verses three through five, and it points us ahead to what we're going to cover next week. There's a transitionary complex sentence going on here. So it is not fully in this sermon, it is not fully in next, it is a transition from Peter's thought to thought. So we're covering it for that reason. The second reason is because Peter expects us, based on everything that he has said, based on the fact that we can be born again to a living hope and our salvation is guarded by God himself, there's a certain way that we should think and that we should set our hope fully in the fact of what Jesus has done. And he says, prepare your minds for action. 
Prepare your mind to take action on what you have just heard. I don't have time tonight. I'll share with you next week the turn of phrase or the idiom that Peter is using here. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Even Peter, an apostle of Jesus, mixed metaphors, which is really fun. We'll talk more about it next week. He is saying there is a certain way you should think and there's certain things that you should set your mind upon based on the reality of our living hope. So we're going to conclude with a few short ways that we can do that. The first one is be born again. Be born again. Find a living hope and find spiritual life in only what Christ can do for you. Apart from him, there is no spiritual life. Jesus, fully man, fully God, came and lived and died in the flesh and then rose again in the flesh so that we might have life, so that we may be born again. In John 3 that I referenced earlier, John quotes Jesus as saying that this birth, it's a heavenly birth. That you are born of the spirit, that you are born of heaven, that you are born again to a living hope. You're never going to be able to figure it all out. You're never going to be religious enough. You're never going to be a good enough person. You're never going to get all your questions answered. You must be born again. And it's only something that God can do for you through the work of the Spirit and the finished work of Jesus and his resurrection. That's the only way that we can have living hope. All other hope, all other wishes, even religious hopes and wishes will be dashed, defiled, fade away compared to this. Friends, let's be honest. This is the one thing that you can put your hope in. It's the one thing that you can count on. I have a lot of things that I think I can hope in, but friends, at the end of the day, it's a wish because I'm basing it off what I can do and I can't count on myself. I can't count on my circumstances. I can't count on anyone to be a living hope. Only Jesus can do that and only Jesus has done that. You must be born again, born from above, born from heaven through what Christ has done for you. Next, it's a complex sentence but bear with me. Let the future shape your past to impact your present. Let the future reality of your inheritance and God guarding your faith and salvation with his great power, let that impact your past to impact how you live your life today. Friends, we do the opposite of this. This is the reason we don't rejoice. We let our past impact how we think about the future, and then we think rejoicing is impossible. Let your future, the salvation to be revealed, the salvation that Christ has bought for you, impact how you think about your past so that you can rejoice today. It's the only way to have a living hope. And then have this living hope. Have hope in God instead of in yourself or others to bring you rejoicing or joy or even happiness in your life. Have hope in God's work. 
This language in verse 5 that Peter uses of God's power guarding your salvation, guarding your faith, the word he uses is the same word used in the Roman Empire for the soldiers that would stand on the gates of the city, on the walls of the city, and guard the gate. They were guarding to make sure that only what was let in was good for the people behind the gate and keeping out all enemies that would strike against the Roman people. That's the word that Peter is using here for God in his power. God in his power is standing on the wall, looking at the gate of your life and your salvation and your faith, and he is keeping out everything that would take away your faith. And he is only letting in the things that will sharpen your faith, that will sanctify you, that will make you more like Jesus, that will give you more genuine faith in him. He knows exactly what to let through and exactly what to keep out, and he never makes mistakes. That's how you and I can rejoice today, right here, right now, and that's how we can have a living hope. Have hope in a future glory. Friends, we need this so bad and we don't even know it. You know why he is reminding them of their future glory? And not only him, but the other New Testament writers, they're constantly talking about the kingdom come and the future glory and the future salvation. It's because they're always writing to people that are suffering. They're always writing to people in the margins. They're always writing to people that are exiles, that are the dispersion, that are living in a country that is not their own. They're living under a regime that wants to kill them or is killing their brothers and sisters. Friends, we have so much. We have so much. We have so many things At our disposal, we have God's word. We have so many Bible-teaching, believing churches in our community. We have access to so much knowledge. We have so many opportunities. Yet, we are sadder and more lonely than any generation that there's ever been in America. They are now calling anxiety and depression a mental health crisis in our country, especially for young people. You know the primary reason? It's because we think we have everything we need to make us happy and we're still miserable. We have placed our hope and we have wished on so many things and then we have gotten them and they don't satisfy. So we're left wondering, where will a living hope come from? We need the hope that only Christ can offer us. Brooke shared this last week, but it really fits exactly what we're talking about here. This, today we've looked at the evidence for what Paul Tripp is talking about. Hope is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way you live. What he's saying here and what Peter is saying today is... We can only have hope in Jesus. Nothing else fits that definition. Lastly, I want to ask you the question, what are you dwelling on? What is going through your mind the most? What are you 
banking on, wishing on, putting your hopes in for salvation, for rejoicing, for meaning, for satisfaction? What are you dwelling on? What occupies your thoughts? We're told here tonight that we can prepare our minds for action. We can be sober-minded and we can set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. That's what we need to dwell on. We can dwell on the living hope. We can dwell on our resurrected Savior. We can dwell on a God of power looking at and guarding our faith and our inheritance and our salvation. And because of that, we can rejoice right here and right now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for speaking tonight. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us without a hope in this world. God, thank you that we can rejoice right here, right now. Lord, I pray for those that have not been born again, that have not found this living hope in Jesus. God, I pray that they would find that tonight, right here, right now. That they would place their faith and their hope in the only thing that's a guarantee— And that's salvation through what Christ has done for us. God, we want to be your good news people. We want to dwell on our hope that is found in you. We want to set our hope on you. We want to bank our lives on you. And we want to be your good news people. God, show us how we can be that by your spirit's power. And because of the good news of the gospel tonight and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.